Hi, well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back out as we are journeying through this series we've been in for the last several weeks that we've been calling the Everyday Revolution. And uh, if you are just tuning in, in with us in this series, if you're a guest or if you've missed the past several weeks, uh, what it is that we've been talking about in this series, kind of our, our course of study, is that we've been looking together at uh, certain passages in the Bible uh, that are sometimes referred to as the household codes. And so just as a quick recap, once again, if you haven't been with us, basically we said uh, what we're doing is we're looking at these passages in the New Testament uh, that are sometimes referred to as the household codes, and we said that these are actually found all throughout the New Testament. And so here's just kind of, again, a quick snapshot of the different places that you will find the household codes in uh, kind of the New Testament. And, and here's what we said. We said the one thing that all of these passages really have in common, kind of the common denominator with all of these uh, different passages of Scripture, is that they deal with the everyday, practical, kind of nitty-gritty relationships, Right? And so in the household codes, what you see is you see instructions about relationships like marriage, uh, family, uh, parenting, work-related relationships, generational considerations, how younger and older generations uh, kind of interact with each other, gender considerations. All of that is sort of baked into these household codes. And so the reason we're looking at these together is really just to investigate one very simple question that I think has profound implications. And the question that we're looking at together quite simply is this, does God have an ideal for our everyday relationships? So that's what we're looking at. We're saying, man, does God have an ideal? Does God have a way that he wants us to interact in our everyday relationships, right? And so, for example, does God have an ideal in the way he wants us to interact in our marriages? Does God have an ideal in the way that parents should interact with their children and the way that children should interact with their parents? Does God have an ideal for, for the single life? Uh, does God have an ideal for the way generations interplay with each other? Does God have an ideal for gender roles and, and so on and so forth? Or is it simply that every culture just gets to define those things on their own terms, right? Does every culture just get to decide, this is what we think marriage should be, this is what we think parenting should look like, this is what we think gender roles should be, or is there a transcendent ideal? Is there an ideal that actually comes from God that transcends all culture and transcends all of history? And so that's what we're actually asking. We said it's a simple question, but it has really profound implications if you think about it. And so we're journeying through each of these different relationships. So far, we've talked about marriage. We talked to husbands. We talked to wives. We talked to singles. And, and this week, we find ourselves in the middle of a conversation we started in the relationship about parents and children. Okay, so, so right now we find ourselves as we're journeying through the household codes, really talking about the interaction of parents and children. And if you were with us last week, you might remember we said that we actually wanted to spend three weeks talking about this relationship, parents and children. And so we're spending two weeks talking about parents. Uh, last week we started the conversation with parents. This week we want to talk directly, once again, to parents. And then next week what we want to do is we want to talk to children, we want to address children. And of course, uh, that is a relevant conversation to everyone in this room, because one thing all of us have in common is we are all children, and, and that looks different at different ages and different stages, but next week we want to talk about what does it look like to honor your parents at every age and every stage, even if your parents are deceased, what does it look like to honor your parents uh, in this life? So that's next week, we're going to have a chance to talk about that, but this week, like I said, we're going to pick up our conversation that we, that we, we started yesterday and continue talking about parents. Now, Again, just as a quick recap, if you were here last week, you might remember we said that according to the Bible and that really according to the household codes, there really is a goal to parenting. Uh, there is a goal as God defines it 
as it relates to parenting. So for those of us who follow Jesus, and I know not everyone in this room might follow Jesus. Some of you might still be investigating that. But for those of us who do follow Jesus, the Bible says there is a way that we should define success in parenting. And here's what we found last week. I'll just give it to you. Uh, Basically, we said this. We said that success in parenting, according to the Bible, revolves around this desire. And here's the desire, that I want to connect the heart of my child to the heart of God. We said that for those of us who follow Jesus, this is the primary uh, desire that we should have for our children in parenting. So, so before I want my child to be happy, before I want my child to be successful in this world, before I want my child to make me happy, right? The, the primary desire the Bible says that parents should have for their children, those of us who follow Jesus, is that we have the desire to connect the heart of our child to the heart of God, that that is it, that, that the thing um, that, that we are most responsible for as parents is exhausting every effort that we can to help connect the heart of our children ultimately to the heart of God. Now, again, if you missed last week's conversation, we unpacked that at length, and we talked about where that comes from in the Bible, and we kind of explained that. And so if you missed last week, I would encourage you to rewind, go check that out. Uh, you can download that. You can watch that. You can subscribe to our podcast, listen to that on your drive to work or when you're working out at the gym or something like that. That might be a good option. But today what we want to do, like, like I said last week, is we actually want to talk practically this week about how we do this. Okay, so practically speaking, uh, for those who are parents in this room or those who aspire to be parents, how do we help connect the heart of our child to the heart of God? What can we do? And so my hope today is to be really practical. That's my hope. I want to be helpful and I want to be practical. And as we look again at the household codes, I think we're going to find a lot of help uh, there as well. Now, like I said, this is the second week um, in this conversation about parenting. And it's interesting because in every relationship we've addressed so far, This is the only one that we're spending two weeks talking to one party. And the reason for that is quite honestly because, man, let's just face it, this idea of parenting is a huge conversation. It's huge. And uh, and I think think parents um, really, especially, and I think this has always been true, but I think especially today, this just might be my opinion, but I think, man, parents are under a lot of pressure today. Parents are under a lot of pressure. And if you're a parent, you probably feel this, right? I mean, there are so many blogs out there. There are so many articles that are written. There are so many books and so many various opinions about how we should parent our children. You know, what should you feed them? What shouldn't you feed them? GMOs, non-GMOs, all those type of things, right? Safety concerns, minivan selection, all of these different things about how are we actually going to do this well? And I feel like there's a lot of pressure that could be put on parents. And quite honestly, for those of us who are parents, I feel like sometimes we can suffer under the tyranny of perfection. Like, we just feel like we got to be perfect at this. Quite honestly, I feel like, and again, this might be my opinion, but I think sometimes uh, social media can be kind of unhelpful in this. So things like Facebook and Instagram and, and other websites, things like Pinterest and stuff like that, I think that sometimes they can be unhelpful because what they do is they often present to us these photoshopped, unrealistic pictures of what families look like, right? Like, for example, just for the sake of uh, analogy, I, I went on to Pinterest this past week which don't take my man card away. I was only on there for a minute and it was just for this illustration, all right? And then I deleted my history real fast. But uh, uh, if, you, if you go to Pinterest um, and I just typed in family photos and let me just show you kind of a, one of the typical, a lot of pictures came up, but this is kind of a typical picture that came up, right? So here you have this, this family picture and this is a really nice picture, right? I mean, it's really nice. This family probably has this hanging in, in their house somewhere. They probably gave it to their family. It's a nice picture. But, but let's just be honest. How realistic is this scene? Right? 
For those of us who are parents, like I remember after I looked at this, I went to Jess and I said, when is the last time we went into the woods well-dressed and gazed into each other's eyes lovingly while our children just hugged our feet happily? Right? I'm like, that has never happened. And could not, it could not happen, right? Like, I know if, if this was a real scene, like, you know what would be really happening, right? Your clothes would be all disheveled, your bags under your eyes, the kids' clothes would be dirty. You'd be like, get out of the poison ivy. What do you do? Pull your pants up. Like, that would be the real scene if it was the real picture. So here's, here's the truth, right? The truth is, uh, there is no such thing as a perfect family. There is not. There's no such thing as perfect parents. And, and so I think that from the very beginning of this conversation, we just have to start by saying that, man, um, we have to have a lot of grace in this because the truth is, parents, man, we're just trying our best. We're trying our best, and I think that we're trying the best with what we know. And, and, and I can, maybe I can just speak for myself on this, but I believe that parents need all the help that we can get. And I can just tell you that's true for me. I need all the help that I can get as it relates to raising my kids. And so that's why, by the way, I'm so thankful that God did not leave us in the dark on this topic. Uh, God has given us his word and he has given us a light to help us as we navigate through parenting. And so that's why I'm really excited about getting a chance at diving deeper into what the word has to say today in Ephesians chapter 6. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you take them with me. And let's go back. We're going to pick up where we left off last week uh, over in Ephesians chapter 6. So go ahead and flip there. We're going to find another household code from the Apostle Paul. And uh, in this household code, he's speaking about the parenting relationship, parents and children. So grab your Bibles. Go ahead and turn there. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, that's not a problem at all. Uh, we actually have some Bibles that should be laid out there for you. And you can just go ahead and take those. Turn to page 816. Uh, in those black Bibles, that's where you'll find Ephesians chapter 6, okay? Now, as you're finding Ephesians chapter 6, uh, like I said, my goal today is really, I just want to be helpful. I want to be helpful. And so uh, let, me, let me start by giving you a few book recommendations uh, that I think are actually really, really phenomenal that I studied in preparation for, uh, for this talk today. And so I just want to give, you can write these down if you want to. I, I, I in no way uh, anticipate that today is going to be a comprehensive conversation on this topic. There's two much to say and the amount of time that we have. My hope is that this might be a springboard and might lead you into further study on this. So, so here's some different uh, resources. Uh, I'll just mention a few of them. Parenting Beyond Capacity, phenomenal book, phenomenal book by a guy named Reggie Joyner. Um, this book is actually all about uh, how the church and how the family interact with each other. It talks about parenting at every stage uh, from childhood to adolescence and throughout, gives very, very practical stuff. It's an awesome book. I'm just going to recommend it to you. I actually, it was re recommended to me uh, from, by uh, Sarah Beth, who's our Power Kids coordinator. I read it, thought it was amazing. Uh, another book I would really highly recommend, Revolutionary Parenting by George Barna. So George Barna, if you guys have never heard of that name before, he is a stats guru. And uh, what he did was really fascinating. He actually took a group of 20-year-olds, so, so young adults, who had a vibrant spiritual life. And he interviewed them about what their parents did to raise them. And he noticed certain trends, and he basically kind of concluded, here are some different trends that we can learn from to raise what he calls spiritual champions. Really excellent book. And then the last one I want to recommend is actually an in-house resource. It's an E4 study, which if you've never heard of E4, E4 is actually the online equipping division of Grace Church. And so if you go to our website, um, uh, www.medinaeast.graceohio.org, you can click on E4 
And there you will find a brand new study that just came out a couple weeks ago called the Family Disciple Making Study. There are video sessions, there is downloadable content, and it is phenomenal. And so I would encourage you to go check that out if you're looking for more help. Okay, so today, like I said, Ephesians 6, let's go ahead and jump in and we'll start off in verse 1. Ephesians 6, verse 1. Here's the household code from the Apostle Paul on parenting. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it might go well with you and that you might enjoy long life on the earth. Okay, now these three verses we looked at in depth last week. Here's where I really want to focus our attention is on verse four. So here's verse four. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Okay, so the Apostle Paul is giving us his household codes. He's talking about the relationship between children and parents. And as he talks and focuses on parents, I want you to notice again what he says in this very simple verse. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children, but instead bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now this verse, even though it's brief, it's loaded with some really practical stuff that I'm excited about kind of looking at together today. But I want you to notice, in fact, my guess is at first glance, one of the things that may have really jumped out to you and you may have noticed, is do you notice that the Apostle Paul seems to specifically target, when he's talking to parents, fathers? Maybe you noticed that when we were reading this. The Apostle Paul, when he addresses parents, he actually deliberately and poignantly uh, directs his attention specifically to fathers. His fathers do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So here's the question. Why does the Apostle Paul target fathers? Right? Is he just assuming the role of mother? Is that what he's doing? Or is there, is there a reason why he is deliberately kind of pointing out fathers? Well, here's the thing. I believe, um, after kind of studying this passage a little bit and looking at different commentators, I believe that, that there is a very specific reason the Apostle Paul is deliberately targeting fathers uh, when he talks about the role of parenting. In fact, uh, if you look at the other household code that's on the parenting relationship, you'll, he does the exact same thing. In Colossians 3, he says, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And so here's the question then, why is it that there is special attention that's given to the fathers? Well, here, here's what I think it is. Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons, but let me, let me give you a couple of the big ones. Uh, one of the big ones, I think, is because if you were here a few weeks ago when we were talking about marriage, uh, we said that in the marriage relationship and in the family relationship, that God has given very specific roles to the husband and to the wife. And what we found out was we said that the husband's role is that he is to love and to sacrifice and to lead his wife and his family in the same way that Christ loves and sacrifices and leads the church. That's the role of the husband, and that's also the role of the father. And so I believe because God has given, the, given husbands the role of headship in the same way that Christ is the head of the church, the, the uh, husbands are to be the head of their marriage and the head of their family. I think because of that, what that means is that part of that leadership responsibility includes setting the direction for the upbringing of our children, all right? And so in other words, put it this way, I think the party that God holds most responsible for the upbringing of our children is fathers because he has given them that responsibility in the marriage and in the family. Now, I gotta tell you personally, this one was really convicting for me. And the reason this is convicting is because naturally, this is not the way that things tend to work uh, in my home it doesn't tend to be the way that things work in most of the homes that I've experienced in life. What I've noticed in culture is that generally speaking, we live in a culture that the raising of the children is, tends to be viewed as the role of, of the mother. 
And so most of the time, it is the mother who takes the initiative in disciplining the kids. It is the mother who takes the initiative in setting the direction for the decisions in parenting. It is the mother who is studying and reading and analyzing the best ways uh, to, to kind of navigate in parenting. And, and, and listen, I think that that's all fine and good. And moms, I think that's awesome. I don't want to undermine your role in parenting. But I think the reason that God does this is because he knows that there is a natural proclivity in the heart of fathers to disengage in the raising of our children, right? And so, so for example... If right now you're a father and you're here with your wife and she's sitting next to you, or if you're a father and you're here with your girlfriend and you guys have kids together and you're sitting next to her, and she's taking mad notes right now, and you're sitting there with your arms crossed or you're watching the Cavs hype video for tonight, right? I think that just simply validates why God says fathers, right? He's like, dads, I need your attention on this. And, and man, I think God's saying that we have a responsibility here, and I think we need to up our game as it relates to engaging in the raising of our children. So he says, fathers, now, now, now watch this. And by the way, let, let, me, let me say this real fast too. If you're a person who's a single mom and you have kids on your own and you do not have a father in the equation, some of you might be thinking to yourself, well, well, how does this verse apply to me then? What am I supposed to do about this? And by the way, I think that's a, that's a really hard situation to be in. And man, I have so much respect for moms who take on that load on their own. And, but I would just say this, I think, and we'll get into this a little bit later in the message, but I think that one of the reasons that God has given us the church is for this very reason. Um, God has given us two families. He has given us our biological family and he's given us our spiritual family. And so one of the things that I would encourage you is that even though you can never replace the role of a biological father in their life, there are many fathers and there are many mothers that we have in the faith. And so I think it just simply validates why it's so important to get connected to the life of the church, get connected to a life group, surround your child with godly influences, uh, people that can invest in their life as well. Okay, so he says, fathers, now, now watch this. He says, do not exasperate your children. Now that's an interesting thing to say. Don't exasperate your children. I, I think the word exasperate doesn't tend to be a word that most of us use in our common day-to-day -day language, right? Exasperate. So what does that mean? Well, some of you might have different translations open. Uh, maybe you brought your own Bible and you have a different translation. It might say it this way. It might say, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So it might say. You actually see a very similar idea here in Colossians chapter 3 when it says this. It says, fathers, do not embitter your children. Do not embitter your children. And then look at this. It says, or they'll become discouraged. And by the way, the word discouraged, what that literally means is it means to crush someone's spirit. That's what it means, to break the spirit or to crush the spirit. So, so the question is, parents, how do we exasperate? How do we embitter? How do we crush the spirit of our children? Well, my guess is you can probably think of a bunch of different ways. I know I can. Uh, just off the top of my head, I'll give you three ways. Well, actually, they're not off the top of my head. I actually came up with these earlier this week. Um, but... Uh, Here's three ways that, uh, that, you can, that you can crush the, I think you can crush the spirit of your kids. I think that the most obvious one is this. One of the ways that we can exasperate our children and crush their spirit is by being overbearing parents. Right? Overbearing. I think that's probably the first thing that maybe came to your mind. Uh, where it's, man, it's all discipline and it's all anger and there's no nurture. It's nitpicky. It's forceful. It's angry. It's frustrated. Overbearing parent, right? Drill sergeant mother. Drill sergeant father. And I think that that's one way for certain that you can crush the spirit of a child. In fact, some of you maybe even grew up in a home like that where you had an overbearing parent where it was all rules, all regulations, no love, no encouragement, those type of things. That's one way that we can crush the, 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 the spirit of our kids. But I think there's more than that, some less obvious ways. Like how about this one? 
I think one way we can exasperate our children, parents, is by being under-engaged. Uh, one of the ways that you can create frustrated people, ch your children will become frustrated people, is by under-engaging with them, right? Uh, prioritizing other things over that relationship, prioritizing, prioritizing work, never being present, never being engaged, always being on our phones, right? That's another way, I think, that we can exasperate our kids. We can crush their spirit. Here's another way. I'll give you a third one. We could be overbearing. We could be under-engaged. How about this one? Uh, double standards. And so I think another way that we can crush our, the spirit of our kids, that we can exasperate them, is we can, we can have double standards. We can say things like, don't say this and don't do this. And then we can turn around and we can say and do the very things that we're telling our children not to say and do. That's a surefire way to exasperate our kids. Right? Change the rules all the time. Constantly change the rules. That's a, that's a way to crush a kid's spirit. And so I think there's a lot of ways that this can happen, but the Bible goes, goes out to say, don't crush the spirit of your child. Don't embitter them. Don't exasperate them. Now, now watch what it says here. It says, now instead, instead, which that means, I like this, because it means, it means alternatively, right? So in other words, he's, he, the apostle Paul says, I'm gonna, give you some, I'm gonna give you some very, very helpful resources now. So do, this is what I want you to do. So, so notice, he says, I want you to bring them up in the training and in the instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the training and bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Now, these two words are really powerful words, and I want to get into both of these today. But I want you to notice that both of these words, that we're to bring them up in the training and the instruction, are underneath the heading of the Lord. It's of the Lord. All right, we're to bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Here, and here's why I think that's so important, because remember what the goal is in parenting. The goal of parenting is to help connect the heart of our child to the heart of God. That's what it's all about. It's in the Lord, right? In other words, and you guys, we said this last week, but I think it's so important to keep this in view. For those of us who follow Jesus, we, 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 said, we said this last week, we need to remember that our children are not our own. They don't belong to us. They've been entrusted to us by God for a season that we might help raise them and lead them into a relationship with God, that we might help model for them and direct them into a walk with God, that that's really the heart that God has in, in, in these things. And so he says that we're to do these things in the Lord. Now, I want you to notice these two words because they're really, really important and they're really, really practical. So he says, bring them up in the, notice the training of the Lord. Now, what is training? Well, again, you might have different translations in front of you if you brought your own Bible. It might say, bring them up in the admonition of the Lord. Uh, or it might say this, bring them up in the exhortation of the Lord. It might say either one of those things, right? And, and what that's talking about, the word training, it literally is the idea of discipline. It's what it is. So here's what the Bible says. It says, parents, part of our role that God has entrusted us with as we raise our kids is we are to discipline our children in a way that reflects that of God's discipline, right? We're to discipline of the Lord. We're to discipline in a way that reflects and emulates the discipline of God. So it begs a real good question then, right? What does the discipline of God look like then? Well, it's actually a great question, and the Bible actually tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 what the discipline of God looks like. Let's just take a look at it real quick. Here's what it says in Hebrews 12. The writer of Hebrews says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Now look at this. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone that he accepts as his son. Goes on. Endure hardship is discipline. God is treating you as his children. 
For what children are not, are not disciplined by their fathers? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. You see what he says there? He says the reason God disciplines us is because we're his children. Like, I don't, I don't discipline kids that aren't, my, that aren't mine. Like, I don't go up to your kid and be like, come over here, you know, time out. I don't do that. And why? Because it's not my kid. But the Bible says God disciplines those are who, who are legitimately his children. Look what it says next. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. Now, check this out. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So, so here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God is a perfect heavenly father, and he is perfect in his love. And one of the ways that God expresses his love is he disciplines his kids. God discipline, listen, God disciplines us not in spite of his love for us, but precisely because of his love for us. So what does that mean for us as parents? Here's what it means. That if we are going to aspire to be the parents that God wants us to be, uh, that we are to discipline our children, not in spite of our love, but precisely because of our love for them. See, and the truth is, I think for some of us parents, discipline might be an area that we really struggle in with our kids. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. For some of us, honestly, uh, the reason we struggle in discipline is because we're confused in how to do it. Maybe we have nothing but bad examples from our own upbringing or from what we've seen around us, and so we're confused in how discipline should look. I think maybe for some of us, honestly, maybe we feel guilty because we haven't dis disciplined our kids in the past, and we feel like if we start doing it now, well, then it's going to seem inconsistent. We feel guilty because we've made some bad decisions in parenting in the past. I think, quite honestly, for some of us, the reason we struggle in discipline is because we, honestly, for some of us, we just really want our kids to like us. The truth of the matter is that if our kids always like us, I think that means we're probably doing this parenting thing wrong. Because the Bible explains that when God disciplines, that, that when we discipline, it doesn't always make sense in the moment, but it, it will make sense later on. I love the way Mark Twain said it. He said this, and this was so funny. He said, when I was 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. He said, but when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. <laughs> Isn't that true? Man, when we're disciplined, it doesn't make sense in the moment. It, it, we can look at our parents and we can feel like they're the bad guy or they're the enemy, but later on it makes sense. Later on it makes sense. And so the Bible says that part of our role as parents is we are to discipline in the way that God disciplines. So practically speaking, because like I said, I want to get real practical, what does that look like for those of us who are parents? Well, here, here's a few thoughts, okay? I think practically speaking, what that means is we need to understand that God's discipline is loving, Okay? And we just talked about this a second ago. In Hebrews chapter 12, it, it literally said, God disciplines those he loves. So what does that mean? Well, I think it means this, that the discipline of God always comes from a heart of love. So practically speaking, parents, here's what I think that that means. I think it means that we need to be very careful, very careful, not to discipline out of a heart of anger, vengeance, or annoyance. We've got to be real careful not to do this. Uh, it is so easy to discipline out of a reaction of anger or annoyance or frustration or vengeance with our children. It's very easy to do this. But listen, think about this for a minute. When God disciplines us, he never does it to pay back our sin. Never. Why? Because that's what the cross was about. 
The cross was there to pay for our sin. So when God disciplines us, it's never to pay back our sin. It's always out of a heart of love, and it's always for our benefit. And so for that reason, we need to emulate that same. If we're going to discipline our kids in the way that God disciplines us, that means that we're to do it out of a heart of love, not out of anger, not of vengeance, not of annoyance. There's a verse I love in the book of James. It says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. What that means is this. Our anger in parenting or any other area of life will not produce the desired results that God wants. It just won't happen. And, and, and so I think that it's important that we remember that we, in our anger, because we will be angry, we will be annoyed, we will feel vengeful, that's going to happen, but in our anger, we don't sin. So take time to cool down in discipline. Uh, take time to make sure that you're level-headed when you engage in disciplining with your kids uh, whenever possible. I remember um, uh, my son, I have three kids, and my oldest son right now, is, he's, he's gonna be eight years old next month, and um, I remember when he was five, uh, there was this, this one, and this, this is just one example, but um, I remember there was this time where he was doing something, and, and I was asking him not to do it, and he just kept doing it. And it was just one of those really challenging moments where, where he wasn't listening to me, and he was, he was disobeying me, and I was already annoyed and frustrated, and I think I was low on sleep. And, and he was doing this thing, and finally, I was like, stop doing it. And, and, he, and, and, and as he was doing it, he made a mess. And I can't remember exactly the circumstance, but he did something he shouldn't have done and he made a mess. And I just snapped. I mean, just snapped. I was so mad and I was so annoyed. And so I just, I mean, I just yelled at him. I'm not a yeller, but I just yelled at him. So I, I wanted to get his attention. So I grabbed his shoulders. And I mean, I grabbed him firmly. Like I didn't, I didn't hurt him, but I grabbed him firmly. And it was, I was mad at him. And I grabbed him. I said, I said, stop doing that. And I just yelled at him, teeth clenched, frothing at him. And, uh, you know, his eyes got real big. And I was like, I, said, I don't even want to see you right now. I was like, get out of here. And he laughed and I was real mad. And, and so so I started to clean up the mess, and I remember I, I was starting to cool down a little bit as I was cleaning up the mess, and so, so you know how this goes. As I was cleaning up and I was cooling down, I started to have this, like, argument in my mind, and I remember thinking, I was like, <clears throat> well, that wasn't good. It's like, that, that was not the way to deal with that, and I thought to myself, I was like, yeah, it's like, well, it's like, I guess I should go say something to him. And I was like, no, I can't, go, I can't go talk to him. I can't apologize to my son. I was like, I'm, I'm the father. I'm always right, you know what I mean? And I was like, and he's five. He's not even gonna remember this later on in life. And so I'm just gonna go along with it. But I just remember as I was cleaning this thing up, I remember thinking to myself, man, I have to, I have to go say something. And I felt so convicted. So I remember I went to my son. He was sitting on his bed and I went into his room and I said, hey, I said, hey, buddy. I said, uh, I said when, I, when I grabbed you and I yelled at you a minute ago, I said, I just want you to know, uh, buddy, I need to, ask you to, I need to ask you to forgive me for that. I said, because here's the thing. I said, your dad, I said, your dad is a sinner. I said, he's, in, he's not perfect. He doesn't do things right. And I said, now, I said, you should have listened to me. I said, you should listen the first time, every time. So it's something we, ta- we tell our kids. I said, you need to do that. I said, but I reacted the wrong way. And I need you, I need you to forgive me. And I said, and uh, I said, that's not the way God deals with us. And so I said, and would you know it, man, this kid, he started to weep. I mean, he just broke down. And, and he hugged me. And I just remember thinking in that moment, man, there's something about, there's something about this that I think is really important. And also, parents, I think, I think what that means is we're not always going to get this right, right? We're going to fail at this sometimes. We're going to be angry. We're going to be vengeful. We're going to be annoyed sometimes. 
Some of you are like, sometimes. You're like, how about this morning? You're like, Pastor Tony, it was the only way I could get the kids in the van, right? And that's kind of how it works. But listen, I think that parents, even, even in our failures, sometimes our failures become an awesome opportunity to display the gospel. Because what's the gospel? Here's the gospel. The gospel is that you and I are more messed up than we think we are. And by God, we're more accepted than we can imagine. And so I think our failures and our children's failures can be an opportunity for us to present the gospel in a powerful way. Here's another practical consideration I would ask you to consider. Because God's discipline is loving, I think that means that we need to strive to show affection during the discipline process. Um, I'm not saying that we should be soft with our kids. I think that we do need to be very straightforward about discipline. But I think that we should strive to show affection. So when you can, pray with your kids uh, before discipline. Uh, take some time and, and hug them during that. Now, I know that the opportunity doesn't always lend itself for this. If you're in the middle of Walmart and you've got to get the job done right there, you, just, you don't have time to do this. But, but most of the time, if you have the opportunity, take the time to, to show affection during the discipline process. Pray with your kids. Speak vision into their lives. This is an awesome opportunity to say things like this. Hey, uh, when, you were, when you were being dishonest, um, that really breaks my heart because it, it actually, it, that's going to keep you uh, from the good things that God wants you in this life. And when you're dishonest, it, it'll break relationships, and I don't want that for you. I don't want that for you. I, I, think, I think that God has awesome things in store for you, and so, and so I love you too much. I love you too much to let that, to let that slide. And, and to try to speak vision and to speak positively, I think it's a huge opportunity for this. Okay, God's discipline is loving. Here's another uh, practical recommendation, I think. Be careful not only to give special attention during punishment, okay, be very careful not to just give special attention to our children uh, during the times of punishment. And, and so, so here's the thing. The word discipline in the Bible, I think it's really fascinating. I know for you and I, when we think of discipline, at least maybe this is true for me, I tend to think of correction and punishment. But actually, the word discipline in the Bible means much more than that. It includes that, but it actually is referring to the whole toolbox of, of, of different things that we use to help bring our kids to maturity. And so correction and punishment are part of that, but so are encouragement and caution. And, and so I think what that means then is it means that we need to be very careful not to just give special attention to our children when it's time of correction, right? Um, I don't know if this is true for you, but I feel like there can be a natural proclivity sometimes for us as parents to see the things that need to be corrected in our kids and sometimes overlook the encouraging things that are happening. I know this is true for me. I remember this, uh, my wife and I were actually talking about this this past week. There was this time when my oldest son, the one I just mentioned to you that I got real mad at the one day, uh, there was this other time we were having, uh, we were having some, we were having like, th- like three or four days, we were having really, really um, kind of a hard time with him. And so I, I told my wife, I was like, I feel like all I'm doing is correcting him, just correcting, correcting, correcting. And I realized I, haven't, I hadn't said an encouraging word to this kid in as long as I could remember. And so I remember thinking to myself, well, that's got to change. And so I thought, all right. I said, I'm going to deliberately look for something good that he does. And I'm going to like, I'm going to stop him when he's doing something right. And I'm going to encourage him. And so as it happened to be, uh, we were at Life Group, actually. uh, And uh, when we were at Life Group, my son was, I remember there was a new family that came to Life Group. And they had brought their kid with them. And I watched my son, my oldest son. He went over to this new kid. And he introduced himself. And he invited this kid to come and play with him. And then he started to share some toys with him. And I saw that, and I was like, there it is. I was like, there it is. So I said, I said, hey, buddy, come over here. 
And my son, you could tell uh, because we had a, like a, a really rough last couple of days, he totally thought he was busted. So I was like, come over here. He's like, what? And I was like, get over here. So he comes over, you know, and he's kind of like, what? You know, and I was like, I said, hey, buddy. I said, I just want you to know. I said, I saw, I saw you go out of your way to say hi to that new kid. And I said, and I saw, I saw you take some time to invite him to play, and you were sharing toys with him. And I said, and I just want you to know, and I'm really proud of you. I'm really proud of you for doing that. I said, I know that's not easy, but that's the right thing to do. And I just want you to know that I saw it, and I'm proud of you. And it was awesome, man. I saw my kid, like, and you guys ever done this, but I saw my kid just stand up straighter. And then he's like, he was like, okay, like, is there more? And I was just like, and I was like, and that's it. Go back and play. And wouldn't you know it, you know what this kid went on to do? He went on to this new kid, and he started bringing him stuff. He started getting snacks, bringing the kid snacks. He's like looking over at me, you know. And I was like, I forget, I forget, some, I think sometimes I forget that we need this. Our kids need, our kids need encouragement. I need this. We need this. People need this. As much as we need discipline and correction, we also need discipline in the form of encouragement. We need it. Okay, so God's discipline, that's what we want to emulate. God's discipline is loving. I think here's another really important thing we need to remember. We need to remember that God's discipline is for our good. The Bible actually says that back over in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12. It says that God disciplines us for our good. And so in the same way, I think that we need to keep that in mind. You guys, God, listen, for those of us who follow Jesus, God is so committed to our good. He is so committed to our good that he is not willing to let anything else that's going to keep us or compete for the, best, for the benefit of us, allow, he's not going to allow that to stay in our lives. And so he disciplines us because he loves us, because he's fighting against those things that are going to damage what's the best for us. In fact, I like the way that uh, the Proverbs says it. Here's what Proverbs says. Uh, Solomon says to his son, discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Now look at this. This is really fascinating. Don't be a willing party to their death. Well, that's powerful words right there. You see, because you see what Solomon is saying? He's saying when we don't discipline our children in the way that God, discipline, God wants us to discipline our children, he says that you actually become a willing party to their pain, to their destruction, to their hurt, to their regret, to their addictions, and even to their death, possibly. And so when we don't discipline, we're not looking out for the best interests of our kids. We're not thinking about the future version of themselves. And so because of that, I think we need to make sure to remember that discipline is always for the good and for the benefit of our children. Um, I love the way that Zig Ziglar said it. Zig Ziglar said it this way. He said, a child who has not been disciplined with love by his little world will be disciplined without love by the great big world. And that's true. And that's true. And so we discipline because we love and we discipline for the good, for the good of our children. So practically speaking, parents, what does this mean? Well, I think here's a couple thoughts. We need to remember, this is a huge thing, we're not fighting with our children. We're fighting for them. This is a paradigm shift I think sometimes we need to make, especially if you're in the throes of raising teenagers right now, right? You need to remember that we are not fighting with our children. We are fighting for them. We are fighting for our kids against the things that can bring harm into them and can destroy the good that God wants for them in their lives. Uh, for example, I have a, a, a couple that I know that are parents, and they, they said something I thought was really interesting. I thought it was really good. They said that they consistently discipline for three things. They said, we, we discipline for three things. They call them the three Ds. They said disobedience, disrespect, and dishonesty. Those are the three things that we, dis we discipline always for the three Ds, for disobedience, dishonesty, and disrespect. And when I heard that, I thought, that's awesome. 
And the reason that's so good is because I have never met an adult who has been dishonest, disrespectful, or disobedient. It's went well for them. Never met a person like that. And so what those parents are saying is they're saying, we are fighting with our children against these things, disobedience, dishonesty, and disrespect, that will keep them from the best for them. So we're fighting against these. We're fighting against sin with our children. I think it's important that we remember that in the parenting process. Here's another practical thought. I think because we're disciplining for the good of our children, that that means that we should strive to learn our children's hearts. We should strive to learn their hearts. Listen, if the goal of discipline, if the goal of discipline is ultimately for the good and for the benefit of our child, to help mold and shape their heart, to connect them to the heart of God, that means that the goal of discipline is not behavior modification. That's not the goal of discipline. The goal of discipline is not to get our kids to do the things we want them to do. It's more than that. It's about shaping their heart. And so because of that, I think it's really important, parents, that we strive to understand the heart of our children. Um, many of you have been parents way longer than I have been, and you could speak with this with much more authority than I could. But let me just say something that I know, and you know this as well. Every child is just so different. They're so different. My kids are little, but I can see this in them, man. Uh, my middle kid, my middle son, he has the most uh, conscious, like self-conscious, guilt-stricken kid I've ever met in my life. He will put himself in timeout if he feels like he did something wrong. I will walk past him sometimes, and he's sitting in a chair, and I'm like, what are you doing, buddy? And he's like, I'm in timeout. I'm like, what for? He's like, I did something I felt like was bad. And I'm like, who are you? <laughs> not, clearly not my child, you know? And, uh, and, and so I have, to be, I, have to be, I have to deal with him differently. I have to know his heart. I have to know what he responds to. I have to know what exasperates him. What exasperates him might not be what exasperates my little daughter, my, my little princess. She's 16 months old. She's the sweetest little girl you've ever met, but she is the most fiery girl. I'm telling you, this girl, she will look you in the eye and defy you with a smirk on your face. She, I'm telling you, there are times I'm, tell, I'm just like, no, no, stop, stop. And she looks at me almost just like, what are you going to do about it? And, and I'm just like, I got my hands full with her. But I have to know, I have to know her heart. I have to deal with her differently. Sometimes I think parents want a one-size-fits-all approach to discipline. The truth is there's not one because there is not just one-size-fits-all children. And we need to know their hearts. Real practical suggestion on this. I would encourage you, if you're a parent, man, go check out The Five Love Languages. Uh, Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. It's an awesome book about knowing the heart of how a person feels and accepts and gives and receives love. And I think it's helpful. It's helpful to help know the heart of our kids. Here's another practical thought. Uh, I think we need to remember that discipline should take, a different, should take on different forms as our children grow. Because it's for their good, uh, discipline should grow as our children grow. It should change and form differently. I, I, like I said, my, my whole goal today is be help, to be helpful. So let me show you something that I thought was very helpful. I actually adapted this slightly from Reggie Joyner's book uh, that I recommended earlier, but I thought this was really helpful uh, for me, and so I just want to share it with you. But in there, they talk about the seasons of parenting, that discipline and that parental focus changes over the duration of a child's life. And so the first season would be kind of the early years. That's basically from birth to five. And, and, and basically what, what they said there is that that is a season where we need to be really focusing on teaching obedience. And we talked about this last week, that the foundation that God wants us to lay with our kids is that of obedience, to teach them to obey their parents. And so obedience is really in the early years. So parents in this season will oftentimes say things like this. They'll say things like, I feel like all I'm ever doing is correcting my child. And to some extent, 
it's true, right? It's a lot of teaching to obey, teaching to obey, teaching to obey. Now, the hope is that as you lay down that foundation, that will allow you to move into the next season of parenting from about 6 to 12, where now you're focusing on training. So training, what's training? What's training character, things like honesty, respect, kindness. It's the training of the Lord. We'll talk about that here in a minute training, right? And then the hope is that as, as you invest in that and you lay that foundation, that that will lead into the adolescent years where you're focusing more on coaching. Of course, coaching is more guidance. It's more hands-off. It's not helicopter parenting. Right? It's not micromanaging. At this point, it's a lot of coaching and guiding. The truth is, uh, for, for, for most of us in our lives and for our children as well, most of the biggest mistakes that we make in life happen about in this time, right? And, and because of that, uh, parents need to have a lot of patience. Uh, parents need to be, uh, to have a, have a lot, it takes a lot of patience, it takes a lot of not overreacting in those times to coach through how the gospel applies in those situations. And the hope is that as you lay these foundations, that eventually as your kids grow um, and they move out of the house, that you will move into sort of a friendship uh, stage with them where you kind of interact more as friends. Here's the thing. The reason I thought this was so helpful by the way, is because if you're a person that has little kids or, or if you guys are expecting or if you hope to be parents one day, I think that understanding that this is a, a kind of a good framework to think is actually really helpful because it seems like a lot of parents today try to focus on this stage first. They, t- they focus on friendship. I just want to be friends with my kids. Well, the problem with that is if you start there, you're going to spend the rest of your, your parenting years working on this one, and it gets harder um, the more you kind of get into that. So I thought that was really helpful and I wanted to kind of share that too. One more thought on this one. If God's discipline is for our good, I think that the, that, that means this, that, that for, the, for, the, uh, for the looking out for the best interests of our children, whatever you do in discipline, you got to do it consistently. Now, there's all kinds of theories about discipline and what should you do and what shouldn't you do and time out or spanking or whatever that looks like and should I spank my kids? And by the way, if your kids are teenagers and you're asking that question, we probably need to have a bigger conversation, right? But, but the, the, the whole thought about this, what do you, what I think basically is whatever you do, you just got to do it consistently. You got to do it consistently. One of the best ways, parents, that we can serve our children is by being very clear on where the lines are. Right, don't be an Etch-a-Sketch parent. You guys remember Etch-a-Sketches? Those, those, like those toys, you could use the knobs and draw lines and shake it up and then you could... Re- don't be an Etch-a-Sketch parent where you draw certain b- barriers and boundaries in, in lines and then the next day you shake it up and you have new lines. Now that is a surefire way to exasperate your children. And, and whatever you do, do it consistently. One of the best ways that you can serve your children is that they know what the lines are and, and um, that we can kind of serve in those ways together. I think if we don't do this, if we don't discipline consistently, it creates this low-grade frustration that the kids are frustrated and the parents are frustrated and no one's ever totally happy because everyone's a little confused. And, and I think one of the best things we can do is just be clear, be clear and be consistent um, that these are what the rules kind of look like. Okay, so uh, once again, back to our verse. We're not to exasperate our children. We're to bring them up in the training, the discipline of the Lord. And I just want to focus quickly on the second word. The Bible says that we're to bring them up on, in the instruction of the Lord, the instruction. Now, what's that talking about? Well, the instruction of the Lord is actually a word that literally means to educate. It also is the same word that means to teach. So what is that talking about? Here's what it's saying. It's saying the parents, part of our God-given responsibility is to discipline our kids the way that God disciplines his kids, right? With love, with love and for the benefit of them. 
But then the Bible also says that part of our responsibility is that we are responsible for training our children in the teaching and education of the Lord. That is to say, the parents, God has given us the responsibility to both model what a relationship with God looks like and also to explain what the teachings of God are, that God has given us that responsibility. Now, you guys, I think this is really important because it introduces a paradigm shift that I think for a lot of us, we don't think this way. But what this tells us is this, that the home, the Bible tells us this, the home is actually the first laboratory for the spiritual growth of children. That our home, that the parenting relationship is actually God's intended first laboratory for the spiritual growth of our children. Now, like I said, for some of us, this is a far departure from the way we think. Because maybe for some of us, this is a far departure from the way we grew up, right? And so maybe the way you grew up or maybe the way that it interacts now is that the spiritual aspect of your child's life is confined to one hour a week on Sunday morning, but the rest of your life really doesn't have anything to do with it. And the Bible would look and say, no, 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 actually, the first laboratory, the first place that God wants the teaching of God to be uh, explained and to be modeled is actually to be in the home. It's, that's the, the first place for spiritual growth of children. In fact, like I said, this is a biblical idea. This is true all throughout Scripture. If you go back to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 6, there's a very, very famous passage that is referred to as the Shema. This happens right after the Ten Commandments, and I want you to notice what it says. Here's what it says. These commandments, the Ten Commandments that I give you today, are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. Now, now here's what I want you to notice, okay? You can see that all of this, talk about it when you sit down, when you get up, when you lie down, when you're walking around, put it on the walls of your house, bind it to, bind it to your, you know, yourself. Basically what he's saying is this needs to be a, a regular part of everyday life. Is, now here's what I think is so fascinating. Moses has just given the Ten Commandments, and do you notice God's prescribed method for, for helping the next generation understand those commandments? you notice what it is? Moses doesn't say, hey, I want your children to know these commandments, so have them come to the temple once a week, and I'm going to teach them the Ten Commandments. That's not what he says. He says, no, parents, this is actually part that needs to, needs to be part of your everyday life in your home. And so because of that, what it means is that the home is the first laboratory for the spiritual growth of your children. Like I said, for some of us, this is a far departure from maybe what we see in our day-to-day -day life right now, right? So practically speaking, what does that mean? Well, parents, here's what I think it means. I think it means that our relationship with God, our personal relationship with God, is paramount in helping connect the heart of our children to their heavenly father. Look, you guys know this as well as I do. You can't fake this stuff. You just can't fake it. Either, either, either following God is a priority in your life or it is not. And you certainly can't fool your children. You can't. Your kids know you so well. I mean, think about how well you knew your parents. Your parents couldn't fool you. You can't fool your children either. And so I think what that means is that parents, one of the best things we can do for our children and for the, for the task that God has given us is prioritize a personal relationship with God. That's got to be huge because, you know, you guys know this, stuff is better caught than taught. It makes more sense when you see it played out than it does when someone just tells you what it should look like in your life, Right? So I think what that means, parents, is we need to, that our relationship with God is paramount. But I think another thing it means is this. I think it means that we need to work to establish some kind of rhythm in our family 
that allows the spiritual growth to be a normal part of kind of our family life. So I'll just give you a couple recommendations. Like I said, I want to be helpful. So here's just, here's just a few recommendations from things I've seen and things I've tried and people I've talked to. All right, here's one. What if, you, what if you did this? What if you just said, you know what? We're going to establish a regular time, maybe once a day, maybe every other day, where we as a family get together to read the Bible and to pray. Read the Bible and pray. Some of you are like, I don't know anything about the Bible. I'm not a Bible expert. You don't need to be a Bible expert. You could just pick up the Bible. In fact, here's a recommendation. You could, you could read the book of Proverbs together. The book of Proverbs is a book that's written from his father to his son. It's all about wisdom. It's all about character. That would be a great place to start. Read a chapter of Proverbs. Read a couple Proverbs every day and talk about it as a family and pray about it. You do this before dinner, after dinner, before bed. I could just tell you this, this is, I think, a huge thing to put as a rhythm of your family to help uh, this sort of be the scenario, right? I could just tell you that my family and I, we've been trying to do this as long as I can remember before bed. We'll get the Bible out, we'll read it with our kids, and we'll try to have a time of prayer. And I know that even when I say that, when I tell you guys that my family tries to do this, that maybe you have a picture in your mind of what that looks like. And you might imagine my children being well-behaved, sitting around me, and I'm, you know, standing up with the Bible as the Honorable Reverend Lavigny and reading this to my children. And let me just say, that's not what it looks like at all. Not at all, right? I mean, it's real life. It's gritty. So most of the time, what it looks like for my family, it looks like a lot of stop picking your nose, quit hitting your brother, right? Pull your pants up. It's a lot of that kind of stuff while we're doing that together. Um, Usually we're reading the Bible and they're goofing off and someone manufactures a foul odor and we need to evacuate the room. Like that's a normal thing. And this is, I'm just saying, it's not, this is real, right? This is gritty and it's raw, but it's worth, it's worth fighting for. To establish some kind of regular rhythm in this, I think is huge. Here's another recommendation I might give you. I thought this was really helpful. Maybe work on scripture memorization with your kids. At any stage, at any age, there's some awesome apps out there. Uh, there's apps like Scripture Typer. There's apps like Quizlet. These are awesome apps that you can do scripture memory. Uh, I know uh, Tim Keller, he's a pastor out in New York City. He said something I thought was awesome. He said, teaching our kids to memorize scripture at a young age, he said, even if they don't understand what it means, he said, it's a lot like putting logs in a fireplace, that even though the fire hasn't come yet, and even though the Holy Spirit might not have entered their life yet, that when the fire of understanding and the Holy Spirit comes, it has something to work with. And so I know a family, for example, they actually have like a board, like a... um, blackboard in their kitchen and they have a verse they memorize every week and then if their kids memorize a certain amount of verses they will all go out and do something fun together i thought that's awesome that's i mean just try something right Uh, i have another uh man that i really really respect and he said here was a recommendation he gave he said hey what if you met with your children one-on-one regularly i don't know once a week once every other week you met with them one-on-one for the sole purpose of talking about god stuff and so you get a time to just be with them Read the Bible together, memorize scripture, check in on their heart, see how they're doing, just to connect, to talk with them. And I just got to tell you, this, this friend that I was, I was I'm telling you about, this man I really respect, he's 65 years old now, he has grandkids. And I remember he was talking about, he said, when my kids, he said, when my kids were about four or five, I started meeting with them one-on-one every week to connect about God's stuff. And he had three kids. And he said, by the time that his kids were teenagers, only one of them really rebelled against him. One of them kind of got involved in the drug scene. And he said, even when she was involved in the drug scene, she never missed our weekly connects. She never missed it. And, and then he went on to explain how now his kids are grown and by God's grace, they're all walking with God and serving God in awesome ways. And with tears in his eyes, this man said, he said, I just want this so badly for you. I want this so badly for you. And I remember when I heard that, I just thought, that's wisdom. That's just wise. 
It's really smart stuff. So a lot of different ideas, a lot of different things you can do. And again, I'm not saying you have to do all this stuff. I'm just trying to whet your appetite with things that you can do because the, the first laboratory for the spiritual growth of our children is us parents. It's us. God has put that on us. However, I think the second thing is true too, and that's this, that the church is the second laboratory for the spiritual growth of children. As I mentioned earlier, God has been so wise that he's given us two families. He's given us our biological family, and for those of us who follow him, he's given us the church. And we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are mothers and fathers in Christ, and we're kind of like a big family together. And so because of that, I believe that if we're going to raise our children in the Lord, in the instruction of the Lord, that part of that includes being connected to the life of the church. That that's what God wants for our children, right? That, 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 that the church is here to partner with us in parenting. And I think, practically speaking, parents, what that means is that we need to help our, our kids belong in the church. We need to help them belong in the church. And what do I mean by that? Well, here's what I mean. I heard someone say it this way one time. I thought this was so helpful. They said, every child is a visitor somewhere and they belong somewhere. And he said, is your child a visitor at church or do they belong at church? Uh, does, your child, does your child belong on the sports field but they visit at church? Do they belong with their social network at school and visit the church? Or are we helping them to belong at the church? And of course, parents, we know this, right? We know this. It's impossible to help our kids belong at the church if we ourselves are just visitors. It's not gonna happen. It doesn't translate that way. And so I think that's why it's so important that in the task of parenting that we prioritize uh, being connected in the life of the church. That's why life group's so important, man. I can just tell you, for those, of, for those who are connected to life group, it does an amazing thing in the life of your family. The connection that happens with the kids that carries over into the weekends, the friendships that, are, that happen there, the godly influences that surround them. By the way, I think this, is, this one is really important really important if you have teenagers. It's important at every stage, but I think it's really important if you have teenagers because honestly, um, as you grow in teen, you wanna try to widen the circle of influence in their life of godly people who can speak into them, right? Because the truth is that, I mean, when we were teenagers, we didn't tell our parents everything. Your teenager's not gonna confide everything in you either. So the real question is, are there people they can confide in? that you trust, that love God, that are gonna set them on, in the right direction. And so I think it's important that we help our children belong in the church to get them connected to these things together. All right, now I could go on and on and on and on and on about all of this, and I, I'm just not for time's sake. Um, and so I'm gonna draw the line there. I'm gonna invite the band to come up. And as they make their way up, I just wanna close with kind of a couple just last thoughts, okay? Um, here's a few last thoughts. For some of us, for many of us, uh, we come from some pretty broken families. And, and the ideal picture that I think God wants for some of us might seem so far outside of reach uh, because of the scenarios that we find ourselves in. But I just wanna encourage you in this that uh, once again, no matter how dysfunctional our biological family might be, I think that this is again why it's so significant that God has provided the church, that he's given this to, to us, that we, can, that we can partner together in this that we can parrot beyond our capacity because we have each other. It's an awesome thing. And I also wanna say this. I think for some of us as parents, when we hear a conversation like this, it might fill us with guilt, honestly. For some of us, we hear this and we might feel guilty. We might feel like, man, I didn't do anything that you're talking about as a parent. For some of us, we might feel like we missed our opportunity. Our kids are too old. And, they're, and, and let me just say, I, I think that there are two types of conviction that can happen, two types of conviction. The first type of conviction, I believe, does not come from God at all. I think it's a conviction that comes from our enemy. And it's a conviction that leads to guilt, and it leads to shame, and it leads to regret. 
But I think there's another type of conviction, and this is the one that I'm praying for. It's a conviction that comes from the Spirit. And that conviction is hopeful. And that conviction is optimistic. That's a conviction that says, you know what? I can, even though I may not have done things right in the past, I can do things different now. And it's encouraging, and it gives us a sense of optimism, and it, and it encourages us to change in faith. And, and that's what I'm hoping and praying for, because a message like this is not designed to give anyone a guilt trip or feel bad about anything. Now, like I said, parents, we need all the grace we can get, trying the best with what we know. But I think, I think that, man, maybe we can take just a few of the ideas that we got from this message and put them into place. The last thing I'd say is for those who maybe you, your kids are grown or maybe your kids are almost completely grown or they're almost done and you're looking back and maybe for you, um, you did try your very, very best and you're a follower of God and your child does not walk with God right now. And if that's a situation that you're facing, man, I know that that can be a heartbreaking scenario to be in. Um, but let me just say a, a couple things to you. First off is that nobody understands the heart of having a child rebel against them like, like God does. That's the whole story of the Bible. And, uh, and so it's important to know that. I think it's also important to know that you are not responsible for the salvation of your child. Uh, the, um, success in parenting is not that our kids know and follow Jesus because of our perfect parenting. Success in parenting is to be faithful be faithful with the task that God has given us and to trust him with the results, to trust that he's going to do that. And so if you have a child that maybe isn't following the Lord right now, I would really commend three things to you. I would say this, and I get these basically off of the story of the prodigal son, but the first one I would commend you to is this. I would say, commit yourself to unceasing prayer. Unceasing prayer. Don't ever stop praying for this, for this goal, that the heart of your child would be connected to the heart of God. Never stop. Even if they're 50 years old, even if you are on your deathbed, never give up that vision of seeing that happen. Unceasing prayer, unending patience. One of the things I love about the story of the prodigal son is the Bible says that when the prodigal son who had rebelled against his father came back, finally came back, that the father saw him when he was a far way off. What that means is he was looking for him. He had never given up on him. And I think that's huge. And so I think un un unceasing prayer, unending patience, and then lastly, unconditional love unconditional love. When the prodigal son did come home, the father didn't punish him for his rebellion. He did not hold it against him. He restored a full relationship with him. No matter what, no matter where your child has been, no matter where they've, what they've done, no matter what the depths of where it is that they've went, no matter how much pain they've caused you to embrace them with unconditional love. I think I would recommend those three things. Bottom line, once again, success in parenting is not that our kids are always fully walking with Jesus, right? I think that's the goal we're hoping for. Uh, but I think success in parenting is being faithful, being faithful with the task that God has given us. And I think we can rest in that, parents. We can do our best. We can trust God with the results. Let's pray. Well, God, I just want to say thank you for, uh, again, not leaving us in the dark on a topic like this because uh, like we were talking about, man, there's <clears throat> so many opinions and thoughts and perspectives and uh, just really heated debates about the ways that we should raise our kids. And uh, Lord, the truth is that we don't need to hear more opinions or conjectures of people. We need to hear, we need to hear from you. We need to know what you want. And, and God, so I thank you that you have given us uh, passages like Ephesians, that you've given us wisdom in the Bible to help us, God. And so I want to pray specifically for parents in this room, God. Help us to have wisdom 
help us to, uh, to know how to navigate through the complexity of, of uh, the responsibility that you've entrusted us to raise our kids. It's a huge task. It's a huge responsibility, and it's terrifying. Um, but God, it's also awesome because we know that we can trust you. We know that ultimately they're your kids. You love our kids more than we ever could love our kids, which seems unfathomable. But because of that, Father, we trust, we trust you. We trust your sovereign will that you will accomplish in our children uh, the things that you want to accomplish in them. Give parents patience. Give them wisdom. I pray you give them strength. And God, I pray you give them motivation. Motivate us, Father, to be the parents that you want us to be. I want to ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.